Back on the show. We got a text on the country pleasing text line from Micah in Texas. Listening via the stream, and he says uh, they have Woodard projected to go drafted or to get drafted before Perry. Huge upside for both of those players, but big news for State having two guys that could be drafted in the first two rounds. Has that ever happened? Now, I'm sure there might be somebody listening right now, Micah, who could fill us in on that. I've texted to try to find out officially, but I don't know the answer to that. Has State ever had two? guys drafted in the first two rounds. All right, I think I have our answer. And, yeah, so 1996, Eric Dampier and Dante Jones both went in the first round. Remember that? So who drafted Dampier? Was it Dallas? Was it the Mavericks that drafted Dampier? Is that where he wound up? Or did, like, Indiana draft Dampier? I'm ashamed that I don't remember the team that drafted Ampere in the first. I do remember that it was the Celtics that took Dante Jones in the first. So the 96 team that was a Final Four team, was after the Final Four run, both those players went in the first round. And then in 2003, Mario Austin and Derek Zimmerman both went in the second round. So if you were to look... At you know your question in a vacuum there, Micah, and that is two players drafted in the first two rounds. It's only happened twice in school history. 96 with two firsts, 2003 with two seconds. And so outside of that, um, well, let's see, you had... Oh, I'll pull it up and look and see in terms of other uh, players drafted, because you certainly have had you know others drafted. Jeff Malone, Moultrie, Weatherspoon, all that first rounders. It was the last Moultrie was the last first rounder you had. The Heat took him. Prior to that, yeah, it was the. Well, see, and I got it wrong. I said Celtics. I totally got the 96 draft wrong. Micah, Dampier taken in the first round by the Pacers. Jones, Dante Jones taken in the first round by the Knicks. And I totally got it wrong. And then prior to that, you would have had to go back to Jeff Malone in 83. That was taken in the first round. Yeah. So, I mean, there have not been many first-rounders. But like you say, only twice in school history prior where you had two players go in the first two rounds. And there's an excellent chance. You know, and that's a whole another discussion to get into about Robert Woodard, but why would some people have him projected in front of Perry? It probably would have to do with that jump shot, wouldn't it? You know, the versatility, the way it would fit in the NBA game, but the fact that Robert well, I mean, they both hit three-point shots, but you know, mechanically, Robert Woodard has a, a shot that he's worked on that you know you would look at that and tell young players, "Hey, do it like him." From a form standpoint, yeah. So appreciate that text and question. Hats off to Robert Woodard. I know he hasn't t- signed an agent and with an agent and remains as 
um, retains his eligibility, but I think he's got a chance to go, too. That's what I think. Hey, do y'all remember, like, the first week back on the radio after spring break, which was right after the shutdown of everything, they had canceled the postseason in basketball, sent everybody home, and that very next week we were back on the radio. And you remember there was a conversation on this radio station, this radio show, other shows, that bubbled up about Tua Tagovailoa versus Joe Burrow. Who would you draft first if you were an NFL team or an NFL executive? There's lots of Joes and there's lots of Tuas. Who would you draft? Now, there is obviously a connection between the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa, the injured quarterback out of Alabama. They keep popping up in conversations. A lot of it makes sense. Obviously, the Dolphins are at the top of the draft, but not the very top. I think I even went so far as to say on this show, they're going to take him if they can. There's a reason that all the beat writers that cover the Dolphins for different media outlets in and around Miami, where you know their fan base is <clears throat> primarily, there's a reason they keep writing things about Tua Tonga-Valoa. Number one, the Dolphins know they're not trading up high enough to take Joe Burrow. They pretty much know what's going to happen first. So then the conversations go to the next two quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, Oregon, Tua Tonga-Valoa, Alabama. If Tonga-Valoa had no injury history, it's a no-brainer. He's going ahead of Herbert. If Tua Tonga-Valoa had no injury history... It might be a no-brainer he's going ahead of Joe Burrow. But that's a whole hypothetical that we can't get into because it's not reality. He does have an injury history. And according to one former NFL executive, he has more of an injury history than people have known about. Michael Lombardi. Now, Michael Lombardi is, to to me... He is a former executive in the NFL. He was in the front office for the Jets and different teams and the 49ers and others. And then he embarked into a media career where, in my opinion, he's been very good. He's never linked up with ESPN. He's always been with Fox or someone else. He's done podcasts. He's written books. He's not as mainstream as, say, a Lewis Riddick at ESPN, who they're talking about as a former GM type, might now be an analyst on Monday Night Football. But... Lombardi is every much as experienced, if not more, than someone like that. I just wanted to give you the background. Well, he is saying that there's more of an injury history than some people know about. Where's what we do know? Broken finger on his left hand 2018. Didn't miss any games. Sprained knee in the fall of 2018. Didn't miss games. Ankle sprain. December of 2018. Surgery, but didn't miss games. Ankle sprain on the other ankle. The next year, 2019, surgery. Missed one game. And then, as we know, in the Mississippi State game this past year, dislocated right hip, posterior, whatever, fracture. Missed the final three to five games. Whatever would have been, did have surgery. Five injuries we know of. Five different injuries to different parts of his body that we know of, two of which required surgery. Michael Lombardi, who worked for the 49ers, Eagles, Raiders, Browns, and Patriots, 
unloaded on Tagovailoa's injury history and reported previously unknown information about multiple broken wrists. Now, he does have a podcast. If y'all want to look for it yourself, uh, I recommend him. He's interesting. He's a good communicator. His name is Michael Lombardi. It's at M Lombardi NFL. He said when he promoted this episode of his podcast, and again, he kind of knows what he's doing. He said, the question to be asked is not, is Tua healthy? Rather, can, stu- can Tua stay healthy? Being cleared to play and being able to play are two different things. Lombardi said, quote, It's got to get around that at least one team failed the physical on Tua. And others have to be concerned now as well. Quote, what they saw is they saw the fact it's not just his hip. It's his ankle and it's his wrist. He said, and I quote, he broke his wrist the first day of spring ball one year. They fixed it. He came back and he broke it again. And then here's the quote from former NFL exec, again, who was in the front office with the 49ers, Eagles, Raiders, Browns, Patriots, knows everybody. He's talking to people. He's got access to information. Here's the quote. He's brittle. You can't deny it. You can say he's a really good player. But he's brittle, and you can't deny it. Okay, so that's what he said. A wrist that's broken twice would be new information in the Tagovailoa injury history, according to anything that's been reported and out in the open since his time at Alabama. Now, everybody can confirm. In fact, there's one media outlet in Miami The Miami Herald, they were able to independently confirm one broken wrist, but not two, not the re-injury and broke. But even independently confirming that by the Miami Herald is adding another injury to the list that we previously already named that everybody knows, which were five of those and two surgeries. So now you're telling me that six and potentially seven, both ankles, Broken finger, two broken wrists, potentially, at least one for sure, and, of course, the hip thing. I mean, the kid has been beaten up, and and you can say what you want. That's football. It's unlucky. If he's healthy, he can step onto the field day one for an NFL team and be better than somebody they already have. Yes, the question is, how many times is he going to step out there for you or be able to during an NFL season? That is the huge question. I think the Dolphins will draft him anyway, but you're not going to be able to watch him for 16 games. That's what I think. Hour two coming up. Jay Perry up next. Stick around. 25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun. Two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. 
speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. All right. Let's do it. Hour number two on this Thursday. Off and running with you here. Coming up in just a few minutes, Jay Perry is going to be on with us. Jay is the director of player development for Mississippi State football. We're going to talk to him about, Matt. Well, I'll tell you what. I am really interested to know how in the world are they keeping not only tabs on, but in communication with 80-something scholarship football players, and they're all in 80-something different places during this time. And oh, by the way, you're supposed to be doing coursework online. <laughs> that and having meetings and when can they meet and what about you know talking to their coaches according to rules and all, I'm just... There's so much of that I don't know, and I'm fascinated. And we keep getting questions. You know, you've texted me a bunch of times with questions on, like, what are are the coaches talking to them? And are they talking to coaches? And we'll see if we can find some of those things out for you, talking to Jay. He's in the middle of all of it, trying to coordinate much of it. And he's going to give us a little time coming up here in about, oh, three minutes on the Divinity Equipment phone line. So looking forward to that. You can text me if you got questions, comments, opinions, otherwise. Text me on the country, please, and text line. It's 885-ESPN, 885-ESPN or 885-3776. It's 601 number. You could also tweet me at Radio Wyatt. Just tweet away, tweetily diddly deed at Radio Wyatt. Call me on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Divinity Equipment, Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer. They are... Um, have, they're having some big-time sales right now. I told you that. Like, for instance, Kubota, any Kubota uh, piece of equipment, we're talking mower, skid steer, construction equipment, anything, anything Kubota. At Divini right now, you buy it, you don't make a payment for 90 days. So great deals going on right now at Divini. So call me on the Divini phone, 995-1059. It's a 601 number, 995-1059. In just a bit, we'll talk with Jay. Real quick on the country pleasing text line. Walking Bully says, Matt, I'm watching you on Periscope. You look, you've lost 25 pounds. You okay? Well, you know what, Walking Bully? I have lost 25 pounds. In fact, closer to 30 pounds since January, and I still have a little ways to go. Had to trim on down and get to where I could fit all my clothes. I cannot stand the idea of having to shop for new clothes. So I want to just fit in the ones I've got. Uh, but the big thing is had to get healthy, trim on down, get healthy getting a little older, uh, and make sure then I'm sitting on ready to begin working out, doing the weights thing and all that kind of stuff because i got to build some strength in some certain areas, lower body, upper body, everything, in an attempt to try to avoid back surgery. So uh, that's kind of where I am. It's all going according to plan. Um, I've had several times in my life where, you know, the light bulb would come on. I go, okay, i got to trim down. And I, you know, thank goodness, thank the Lord, to this point, whenever I've done that, I haven't had much of a, a problem with it. I haven't struggled with it much. Um, always just kind of had the discipline to do what it takes. Grit your teeth and be tougher in the situation. Not eat a bunch of junk when you think you're hungry. Just grit your teeth and say no. And do it day after day after day after day. And eat healthy. 
make sure you're hitting those calories marks and thresholds and all that kind of stuff. So, so far, so good. So your eyes have not deceived you, I don't guess. Hey, we had a little news earlier in the show for Mississippi State. I got a little more. You want it? All right, breaking news. Well, sort of. We have a scoop by a nice young man who does a really nice job with uh, covering the Mississippi State beat for the Columbus Dispatch. His name is Ben Portnoy. And he is reporting right now, just put it out on Twitter minutes ago, Mississippi State is nearing the end of its women's basketball coaching search. A source with immediate knowledge of the situation told the Dispatch Thursday that MSU Athletic Director John Cohen is down to a final two of Louisville's Jeff Waltz and Old Dominion's Nikki McRae-Pinson. Johnny Harris, who served as former Coach Vic Schaefer's associate head coach for the entirety of his stay in Starfall, also interviewed for the job earlier this week. Now, the report at the Columbus Dispatch from Ben Portnoy says that a final decision could be made as early as Thursday. And he's also reporting that According to his sources, they both, both these coaches, want the job. The report says it remains to be seen what either would be paid should they take the job. Waltz made a base salary last year at Louisville of $1.4 million, according to the Louisville Courier-Journal. Say that five times fast. While McCray Pinson at Old Dominion had a base salary of 200000 Last year. So, according to this report from Ben Portnoy, Columbus Dispatch, those are the two finalists at the top of the list for this job. There you go. A little breaking news. All right. The aforementioned on the Divinity Equipment phone line, he's a Hale Stater, too. His name is Jay Perry. He is a director of player development for Mississippi State football. And we're fortunate enough to get to hear from him here today on your radio via the Divinity Equipment phone. Hey Jay, are you are you hunkering da- are you are you hunkering down, kicking tires and lighting fires, and still getting the job done via cell phone? Well, probably most important is some more breaking news. I am not a candidate for the head coaching position for the women's basketball program at Mississippi State. Okay, we we'll scratch you off the list because we had you near the you top. Can go ahead. Yeah, you can take me off. I'm not. <laughs> no, it's good. Not, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously, and I know that on whether it's radio shows or whether it's television, that's everybody has said and a million times we're in a, a strange, strange period. And certainly across the country and college athletics right now is, is no different. Obviously, we would be in the throes of spring practice right now, but we're not. Yeah. And so we move forward. So that's why I wanted to talk to you, Jay, is I'm sort of fascinated by how y'all are getting it done, all right? And and I'll just say it and, and throw a question at you. You know, I'm so old that back when I played, I can associate with certain things of today's college football. With other things, I can't. I didn't have a cell phone. I don't know that anybody on my team had one. That's how old I am. So 
I want to. I'd like to learn from you what y'all are going through as an administration, as a staff right now, in keeping tabs on eighty-five <laughs> scholarship players that are in eighty-five different places. Like, how are y'all doing that? Yeah, it's it's a couple of different ways. The, the biggest thing is uh, both Coach Leach and the position coaches. We're trying to make sure, and me and other staff members, that we reach out to the guys on a regular basis. Just how are you? Is everything good? We're really fortunate in Mississippi State uh, to have a couple of uh, very, very smart people, Dr. Angel Brutus and Dr. Aaron Goodson, uh, in our sports medicine team, uh, psychologists to help us. And they have certainly made themselves available from a virtual standpoint. But the biggest thing is just making sure that we're checking in with the guys. We still have virtual team meetings on uh, WebEx. You may hear some people use Zoom or some mm-hmm. of these different types of, of digital platforms. WebEx is what we've used, and so we'll have these team meetings. The other thing that the NCAA and the Southeast Conference are allowing us to do is we get four hour hours a week of film review, chalk talk, things of those nature that, that the coaches are able to actually do with the players. Okay. Uh, so, for example, the way we're doing it is we're spending an hour a week on special teams and then three hours a week by position group uh, with regards to different things, the film review, the chalk talk, things like that. Now, in doing that, uh, the rules are not thrown out the window. So that's still uh, what we would call carrot time or countable athletically related activities. and It has to be scheduled a week in advance. Still have to give the players two days off per week. Uh, and only countable coaches can conduct those film review and chalk talk sessions. So, but it, it's been helpful. And I'll tell you, Matt, to me, I think the biggest thing, we're at a bit of a, a disadvantage being a new staff. We don't have film of our players in this offense or our players in this defense. But I do think that it has been very, very valuable in just letting the guys talk about ball, mm. letting the guys see each other on the WebEx calls. i got to tell you, probably the funnest 20 minutes for me is we typically open the, the camera and the mics about a half hour before our team meetings. And then the team meeting will start, you know, a half hour later. That 20 or 30 minutes of, of watching the players interact is pretty entertaining. And probably George Carlin would say not allowable on the radio right now. <laughs> Even George Carlin would agree to that, huh? Yeah, I understand. Even George Carlin would say. But it's really good stuff. And, and that's been, that four hours has, has been helpful. I bet it has. So Jay Perry on your radio, Director of Player Development, Mississippi State Football. All right, so... You say four hours of these player coach basically meetings, but doing it remotely four hours a week total. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing about four hours right now, and 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 it, it, it's working well. Uh, and here's the deal: because you got to remember, these guys are still, and it's more challenging. They're still full time student athletes. Uh, they're still engaging in study hall. They're still engaging in tutoring. Uh, some of the classes have a video component, so 
there's still a great deal of other things, uh, you know, you may have seen, and, and you may have even mentioned this, Mississippi State, Dr. Keenum has, uh, the university has just decided that a student can choose to either take a letter grade in the class or they could choose a pass-fail option. Now, there are some rules with regards to that. So academics still, obviously, uh, my phrase I use often is they're, they're called student-athletes, not athletic students for a reason. Yeah. Same two words, but, but what a difference it makes when you switch the order. And so we want to make sure that they're getting all of their student uh, academic work done first. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I mean... <sighs> There's no question that the academic work takes precedent. There's no question that their safety in regards to this virus takes precedence. We understand all of that. But if we just choose to look at football, you said it, Jay. It's a time when they would normally be going through spring practice right now, which they're not, obviously. And frankly, four hours a week of video conferencing for football meetings with their coaches, going over X's and O's, doesn't seem like very much to me. No, it's not. But again, since we don't really have any film, if we had practiced a week, you know, if we had practiced uh, four times, five times out of the fifteen, if we had done anything, now you've got some teachable things. Let's be honest. I I don't know about. I can't speak for our players. They're probably all much smarter than I was in college. But if I had been an eighteen to twenty-two or twenty-three year old and all you're doing is this, you're going to have to do it again for me probably when we get back to actual football. So, good point, good point. You know, there, there's going to be a retention component to this. Like I say, a little different for schools and universities, programs that aren't in year one of a new staff. Yeah. We are. Now, no one's complaining. It is what it is, and we're going to attack it no matter whether it's year one or year ten. Uh, but I, I think for us, uh, there is a value in it. We're, we're very thankful that Bracky Brett and Steve Smith, uh, our compliance department, and then, of course, the SEC and the NCAA are allowing us to do this because we, we certainly are, are making great use of it. Jay Perry on your radio, Director of Player Development at Mississippi State Football. Have you run into yet, without naming them, any concerns from any player who said, hey, Coach, I don't have a place to work out. I don't have a weight room to go to. Have you run into that? No. Okay. You know, we, we really haven't. And, and obviously Tyson Brown, our uh, head strength and conditioning coach for football, uh, has done a phenomenal job. You know, we're, we're not able to – one of the things you cannot do in this four hours, for example, is, uh, you know, we, we can't direct them, if you will, in a workout. Now, we can provide a workout. We okay. can provide drills for them to do voluntarily, but we, we cannot sit there and, and remotely watch them in physical athletic activities, workouts, or, or skill instruction type things. Um, and so Tyson Brown has done a phenomenal job of making sure the guys are prepared and equipped. We have just recently sent out, uh, for lack of a better phrase, a care package to our players uh, things that, that will help them, aid them in their ability to work out and do some things that's, of course, also allowed by the NCAA and by our conference. And so we, like other schools, have done that, uh, you know, in part, I think it helps the players. And in part, it, it, it's, it's a, a bit of a way to show that, uh, you know, we care about them and we're thinking about them. And so uh, we, like other schools, have done that as well. 
Okay. And, and is that a an NCAA thing, Jay, that wouldn't allow like the strength coach to, you know, FaceTime or Skype with a player while he works out to direct him? Is that an NCAA rule? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's just a rule that, that you, you're not going to be able to do. So, we're, but we can give them workouts. I see. You know, yeah. we can, and even in that that virtual interaction, we can provide workouts. We can provide drills for them to do whether it's position-specific or otherwise. We just can't direct them through that video uh, component. But, you know, your original question, uh, have we run into guys that, that don't have a place to work out? Not really. Um, because one of the biggest things right now uh, is, is being outside when the weather permits and doing some things, whether it be running, uh, whether it be agility, doing some footwork stuff, doing some things, uh, that will be kind of sports specific, if you will. But so far, it, it, it seems to be working pretty well. And, and again, look, I mean, right now as a country, you know, there are things significantly more serious than whether our guys have all of the bells and whistles. So we're, we're, we're far from complaining. We're, we're blessed that we have an opportunity to, to do some things. And just like all of the other institutions in the country, we're all playing by the same rules. Uh, and we feel like we're maximizing what our league and what our NCAA, what they're allowing us to do. Sure. Jay, um, last thing. Do, do your players, are they all pretty much kind of, you know, settled in with this and know you're going to call them? Or, or do you have guys who are hitting you up and the staff up saying, hey, coach, what are you hearing? When are we coming back? You know, I wonder kind of where they are mentally in all this. Yeah, that, that's a great question, Matt, and and a little bit of both. Initially, when not that the unknown is necessarily diminished, but initially it seemed to me that we had more guys saying things like, "Hey, when are we coming back? What are you hearing? When are we coming back?" I think as time has sort of marched forward, most of the guys are pretty settled in. Mm. Uh, again, w- we have some accountability still. Here's the other deal, by the way. If a guy misses a virtual tutoring session or a virtual study hall or a virtual class, that still counts as a miss for us. And we'll deal with that when we do get back to having these guys on campus. So we still expect them to do everything that they were. I think as a result, there has become, and you've heard the phrase, a new normal. I think the new normal uh, for the most part, guys have sort of settled in. And you'll, of course, occasionally uh, have a player, whether it be in a team meeting or whether it be a separate reach out to, hey, are you hearing anything? What's it going to be? And uh, most of our guys are at home. Mm. There are some people still here in Starkville, and we even have a handful of guys still indoors um, without necessarily naming names, but you know, you have some guys that are from or near areas that have been kind of labeled as hot spots, if you will, kind of uh, areas where the, the virus seems to be at a particularly high rate. So those guys have chosen to stay here. Some guys needed to be here because their ability to get to Internet and a computer increased by being here. And so we're, we're real uh, cognizant of all of those things. And sometimes it's fluid. It may change. Yeah. On a weekly basis, you know, somebody that was here has chosen to go home or vice versa. Right. 
Right. Well, that's really interesting. Jay, uh, I can't thank you enough for the um, transparency and the kind of the information. I think we've had a lot of fans that were really curious, like what it's like on your end. And it sounds like it's different, but y'all are in constant communication with them. And I just appreciate it. Appreciate the info, man. And glad that you and the family are all doing well. Well, I tell you what, you know, again, like I say, our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to everybody affected in one way or another. And, and college athletics is hugely important to a lot of us, but we recognize the place on the totem pole uh, and the health and safety of uh, our players, our fans. Uh, it certainly ranks significantly higher than anything else. So uh, sure. always a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Call anytime, buddy. All right, man. Talk to you soon, Jay. Thank you. Okay, Matt. That's Jay Perry. Uh, Director of Player Development, Mississippi State. And also, you know, I, I kind of introed him as that every time. He's also our sideline analyst on our radio broadcast on fall Saturdays. Um, kind of the least of the jobs, I think, out there for Jay. But really interesting to me. I mean, four hours a week, and they have to count those and basically report those of actual position meetings or team meetings remotely online via technology. One hour of special teams meetings, three hours of offense, defense, and position meetings per week in a time when the players and the coaches would normally be practicing and having a lot more meetings. And that kind of puts it into perspective for me. I think it's a lot harder to keep the players awake, too, when they're sitting on their own couch versus... (laughs) in the meeting room with the coach. That was always a struggle. Y'all stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. All right, here we go. Continuing along with you here on this Thursday. I hope you've enjoyed the conversations today. I know I did. Enjoyed talking with Bart Gregory earlier today. Kind of an insight of what it's like living in a college town when nobody's coming to town for ball games. And then just now talking with Jay Perry, who's on the staff, administrative staff for uh, Mississippi State football. The same would be true for every Division One team out there, and that is trying to manage communication, what is allowable in terms of talking to players, meeting with players. And it turns out, according to him, just one example, they are having meetings. You can call them face-to-face. It's just faces on a computer screen. They are having meetings throughout the week where they're maybe kind of going over some film and X's and O's and doing some teaching and talking with their coaches and all that. They're doing it remotely, conferencing in all the players, but they are—they have four hours of that a week, which is allowable. That's not very much that is allowable when you consider what they normally would be doing in terms of meetings. That's not a lot. And then the other thing that was kind of surprising to me is that apparently there is a rule, if, if, if everybody's going by the rule... <laughs> where like a strength coach could not video conference into a kid's weight room, into a weight room where one of his players or several of his players or something were working out and he couldn't direct their workout. And that's one of those that 
I see nothing, I hear nothing. That's one of those, I guess, maybe. Would be for me, if I was a player, I'd be like, Coach, let me get you on FaceTime. Watch this. That's just what I would do. And they're like, well, it's against the rules. Well, I won't tell anyone then. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> and I'm not saying anybody's doing that, but that's just me. But they're doing the best they can. Think about it. 85 scholarship players, some on campus. He said that they have some who are still in their dorms. Yeah. Anyway, if you're just tuning in or if you missed it or want to hear some of that again, it'll all be available for you on the podcast. Wherever you get a podcast, just look it up. Search it. The Matt Wyatt Show. And you'll see it. Be able to subscribe and get the show every day. And also the live streams that uh, we have for the show on Periscope and on Facebook will also be available. And uh, we'll post some other stuff as well. Make sure you have it. Tony Joe on the Country Pleasing text line, 885-ESPN, 885-ESPN. Tony Joe says, I've been out of pocket. What is your latest observation on the Coach Leach racial, uh, racial accusations? Well, let me just kind of categorize it for you, Tony Joe. This is my opinion on it. I've observed it from a distance, just like everybody else. Any racial accusation against Coach Leach is bunk. The man didn't do a single solitary thing that is or was racial. And I mean, we've all seen it. The joke. That was a meme that went out on Twitter. He posts all those things. It was a joke about an old woman who she fed up with her husband because they've been quarantined together and she hates him and wants him to die. And so the joke was she's knitting him a scarf. And as you look at the picture, the scarf is actually a noose. It was a joke. And in context or content or in any scenario whatsoever, it wasn't racial. There was nothing racial in it. It wasn't intended that way. It wasn't that way. The context does matter because it will tell you who should be accused of what. And that is Nothing. Now, having said that, you want to accuse him of not realizing that some people are very sensitive just to the very sight of any news anywhere, whether it's in a Western movie or not. Okay, well, some people are that way. But to make it into anything else is complete and utter hogwash. And I would say that and stand by it, whether it's my neighbor that I'm saying it to, or whether it's Skip and Shannon, it is complete and utter hogwash to make it into anything else. And I, I didn't necessarily agree with uh, everybody's take on it, but that's mine. Not going to change on that because reality is reality. That uh, the context does matter. That wasn't any racial context. And the coach, you know, they're not all geniuses, but they know better than that. I mean, so to make it into anything else is just incredibly, incredibly um, low brow. That's just what it is. Cheap. 
you know, to make that into some kind of issue cheapens all the real issues, which are very important. Actual racism and that kind of stuff is very important and a very important issue to address. And when you go throwing it around at stuff where it does not even in the slightest apply, then you cheapen the real thing. And that really is what everybody ought to be concerned about. All right. Um, this was one of my favorite players. He was one of everybody's favorite athletes growing up. Bo knows. We were talking about Tua's hip injury earlier. You know, it kind of ended Bo Jackson's career ultimately, right? But he did come back. We forget, he did come back. On this day, 1993, Bo Jackson, first game back in a baseball uniform after his injury, was with the White Sox, and he did this in his first game back. That ball hit deep to right field. Tarnival goes back, looks up. You can't put it on the board. Yes! Bo Jackson in his first at bat in the 93 season. Homers to right field. What a moment this is for that man. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, if you were alive in the early 90s, you understand this. What a big deal Bo Jackson was and what an even bigger deal his injury was. We just couldn't believe it. Go back and watch the 30 for 30. No, I mean, you know, and then to be able to come back because baseball is different than football, right? Right? Baseball is different than football. Yep. But to be able to come back, not to football, but to baseball, just come back and play. The whole country was like, let's watch Bo. Can you believe it? Bo's back. He's back. And then not only to come back, but step out there and in your first game back, launch one. And we're like, he's back. He wasn't back for long, but he was back. <laughs> Some. It was really incredible. Just, you know, can't even imagine what some of the things that he could have done or would have done had he been able to come back and be healthy. You know, or well, let's not say that. After that injury back then, you don't come back and be healthy. But if he'd never gotten hurt to begin with, the things he could have, would have, should have, if, 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 if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, that whole thing, yeah, it was just incredible. Hey, one more baseball nugget here for you. I want you to know this. A lot of folks who love the state of, uh, love the sport of baseball in this state. And do historically love baseball history. A Lou Gehrig bat dated, used by Lou Gehrig in 1922, has sold for more than $1 million. Beaver, may I get a personal opinion from you? Are there, sure. are there items, antiques, um, memorabilia, anything out there that you would pay millions of dollars for just to display it in your home? Do I have millions in this scenario? Not say, Well, I'm saying in this scenario, you do. So let's say you have yeah. millions. You can afford it. Um, 
and off I'm not, the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Right. I th- and I think, like, I'm not surprised by that response from you and me. I'm just going, there's a chance if you have millions, then you willy-nilly throw money around. But most people who have millions didn't get there by willy-nilly throwing money around. <laughs> right? Good point. So if you have millions, you're pretty responsible with money. You know the value of it. You you get it. And for me, I'm just looking at it going like I know my makeup. I can't think of one single solitary piece of memorabilia out here that I would drop millions on if it didn't have to do with the Lord Jesus. Like if you could prove to me that, hey, here's the crown of thorns that they put on his head that supposedly is displayed in Jerusalem. And we're going to auction it off and you can get it for $20 million and, oh, I'm a billionaire. Well, I'd go get that if you could prove to me that's what it was and I really believed it. But other than that, man, a game-used bat by Lou Gehrig just sold for over a million dollars. A hundred-year-old once-used bat. (laughs) $1.025 million. It weighs 40 ounces. It's a big old piece of lumber now, especially compared to the ones that they use now. 40-ounce bat. That's heavy. Go swing that thing for BP and tell me how you feel afterwards. All right, we'll wrap it up next here in the Farm Bureau studio. Stay with me. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.